I'm one of the third year medical students and this is a podcast on paediatric conditions, um, specifically intersusception and pyloric stenosis. Um, I hope this podcast will be useful for you. Um, I plan to go through um, intersusception and pyloric stenosis um, to talk about um, the pathophysiology, so why they happen, um, how to identify the patients that come in with these with these um, specific problems, um, how to treat them, and also the first investigation that you would do, um, as well as some tips for common things that might be asked in exams when it comes to these two conditions. Um, my name is Demi, and um, this is a podcast um, for SLT. Okay, so um, let's talk about intersusception. So intersusception is one of those conditions that comes up in exams all the time. Um, so it's relatively high yield. And um, so let's just define what intersusception is. Um, intersusception is actually when the bowel telescopes into itself um, and that leads to a vascular compromise. So what does this mean? What does telescoping of bowel mean? So basically, um, normally there are blood vessels around the bowel. I'm sure that you've seen um, during your anatomy classes that bowel is like lined with different blood vessels. So normally, um, as food is being pushed throughout the bowels, um, we call that peristalsis. So there's like a peristaltic, peristalsic wave um, where the bowel contracts and that is perfectly normal. Um, but during intersusception, what happens is that there is a peristaltic wave that propels part of the bowel into another part of the bowel. So the bowel effectively gets stuck. And um, this causes an obstruction, um, especially of blood vessels. So as you can imagine, if one part of the bowel is kind of stuck into another part of the bowel, um, this compromises the blood vessels. And it means that the, pow- the, 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 the part of the bowel... Um, a certain part of the bowel isn't getting enough blood supply. So, I mean, if you leave this and if you don't do anything about this, what will happen is that that part of the bowel will die. And um, obviously we don't want that to happen. So there are, there are certain signs that you can look for, um, you know, certain signs in, in, real, in real patients, as well as certain signs that will be on the exam most pro- commonly. Um so a child with interception, first of all, who is, you know, the main population that we will see with interception? Um, it's, it's mainly um, toddlers. So patients aged three months to three years old and um, they will have an abrupt sudden onset colicky abdominal pain. So it will be very abrupt, you know, one second they're fine and the next second they're screaming and um, children will figure out pretty quickly that the be- one of the best ways to, re- to relieve the pain or to provide some form of, com- of comfort is for them to um, bring their knees up to their chest. So you'll see um, typically, for example, in exams, you'll see typically um, a, th- a three-year-old child that is fine one moment and then the next moment they start screaming and then they draw their legs to their chest. Um, that's a very typical exam kind of, question to ask about interception so we know that they are 
seen in toddlers three months to three years and that bringing their knees to their chest brings relief and that it's a sudden onset colicky abdominal pain. Um, other clinical findings that are very useful in, in interception is that it's a sausage-shaped mass, um, most likely in the right upper quadrant. So that's more than enough information to to know from an, from an exam stem that a patient has interception, you know. It's, it's going to be a toddler that is screaming, pulling their knees to their chest with a sausage-shaped mass in the right upper quadrant. And... Um, the first investigation that you should order when a child, um, when you suspect that a child has intersusception, the first investigation should be an ultrasound. Um, the best diagnostic test, um, which can also be used to treat intersusception, is an air enema. Um, and how you would treat intersusception is you would use the air in the enema to push the bowel out. Um, so that basically corrects the bowels. Um, so if you don't get to the child in time and, you know, their bowel, um, unfortunately dies, or maybe there's some sort of loss of bowel because of the obstruction that I mentioned about before, um, then the child would pass, um, red currant jelly stool, which is basically, um, just them passing part of the dying bowel. Um, I mean, the best thing to do is to actually intervene before, um, the child has red current jelly stool, um, but that's also a significant finding that can be in exams. Um, you know, whenever you whenever you hear red current jelly stool or red current jelly diarrhea, always think interception. And um, so let's just summarize what we've talked about for interception. Um, so you're going to see interception mainly in a toddler aged three months to three years old. Um, they will present with abrupt sudden onset colicky abdominal pain um especially in their right upper quadrant um they might have a sausage shaped mass um they'll pull up their knees to their chest and um if you wait long enough they will have red current jelly diarrhea the first test that you should do is an ultrasound but the best diagnostic test is an air enema and an air enema can also be used as a treatment for intersusception Okay, so um, now on to pyloric stenosis. So pyloric stenosis is also a very high-yield um, paediatric condition to study because it appears often in exams also and, it's, a very, and it's, um, it's one of those things that once you get your head around it, it becomes easy to spot. So um, let's just talk briefly about paediatric vomiting. So we've talked about um, paediatric abdominal complaints when we talked about interception, um, but now we're going to talk about paediatric vomiting. Okay, so um, when is paediatric vomiting normal and when is it, when is it pathological? Well, paediatric vomiting is very common and it's also very normal if the vomit is not green and if it's not projectile. Um paediatric vomiting becomes a problem if it's projectile or if it's green um, and that's one thing to remember. So there are many causes of green paediatric vomit. Um, we call green vomit bilis vomiting and um, those causes include malrotation, volvulus, duodenal atresia, 
And um, pyloric stenosis is one of the causes of non-bilis paediatric vomiting. So that's really important to remember that pyloric stenosis will never have green vomit. This is because um, the, the point at which the pylorus um, has the obstruction, at the point of, of the obstruction is actually before the ampulla ovata. So the vomit should never be green in pyloric stenosis. And that's very important to remember because if, the, if in, an, in, an, in an exam you have um, you know, projectile vomiting that is green, you already know it can't be pyloric stenosis. But if you have projectile vomiting and it's not green, if it's normal coloured projectile vomiting, then that makes you suspect pyloric stenosis. Now, pyloric stenosis is not the only cause of um, non-bilis um, projectile vomiting. Um, you can also have um, babies that have tracheoesophageal fistulas, for example, and that will also present with non-bilis projectile vomiting. Um, but one of the differences between pyloric stenosis and the other causes of non-bilis projectile vomiting is that pyloric stenosis um, normally happens um, in weeks two to eight of life. So the typical patient with pyloric stenosis is not going to be a newborn baby, is not going to be a baby that's, you know, one day old, two days old. It's most likely going to be a baby um, that has had a few weeks of life, had some normal feeds during its life, and um, the child is going to be a little bit older than a newborn. Whereas in a tracheoesophageal fistula, you're more likely to see that in um, children that are just born because it's it presents immediately after after birth because they obviously have the fistula that they were born with. Um, so for pyloxenosis, we've already talked about how it presents as non-bilis projectile vomiting, most likely in weeks two to eight. And we've and we've already talked about how the vomit is not green because it's before the ampulla of vata. So the ampulla of vata is where bile enters um, the system. So if because the stomach is before the ampulla of vata, um, any obstruction in the stomach will not present with green vomiting. So what is pyloric stenosis? Well, it's actually um a hypertrophy of the pylorus so it's a thickening of the pylorus and it basically causes an obstruction um where it so it's called it's called a gastric outlet obstruction because um the food from the stomach cannot pass down into the intestines because of an obstruction in um in the pylorus so like I said, it's likely to present in a baby that has had normal feeds for a little bit, but then suddenly um, the feeds become projectile in nature. And um, when I mean projectile, I mean that they are hitting like the wall across from where the baby is, because a lot of people say projectile, but it's not necessarily projectile. So there are a couple of, of clues that you can get um, in an exam question that is signifying pyloric stenosis um so and one clue that is very often um talked about in exams um for example the question stem might say um a patient you know a, a three-year-old infant is presenting with failure to thrive 
and you feel an olive shaped mass in its in their abdomen this is very um significant and this occurs in pyloric stenosis um quite often it's described as an olive shaped mass in the stomach and um the question stem might also say that there are visible peristaltic waves so those two are clues to pyloric stenosis the so just to summarize we've talked about how pyloric stenosis presents um in children who are who are about 2 to 8 weeks um and it's a stomach obstruction um a gastric outflow obstruction before the ampulla ovata so it, it causes non-bullous vomiting um it causes and often you'll see an olive shaped mass or visible peristaltic waves now so in the exam um they might they're, they're more likely i think to ask you how you would treat pyloric stenosis um in terms of your acute management because the interesting thing about pyloric stenosis is that um you the the best treatment for pyloric stenosis is actually surgery so it's a pylorotomy pylo pyloromyotomy that's the best treatment for for pyloric stenosis and um the the first investigation that you should do um should be a blood gas blood gas followed by an ultrasound and on the blood gas you will see um a specific picture that is very significant of pyloric stenosis and should always make you suspect pyloric stenosis um so you'll see a hypochloremic hypokalemic metabolic alkalosis so what this means is that there is low there is low um potassium there is low chloride and there is high bicarbonate so why is the blood gas this way so it's actually because um as the stomach is losing volume it's contracting more and um, this causes an alkalosis and um there's also a loss of potassium and chloride as the stomach is trying to correct itself so the first management of pyloric stenosis should actually be that you give iv fluids and collect the electrolytes in the um in the patient before you actually do an ultrasound because um if if pyloxenosis is so severe that the patient is projectile vomiting and they do have this specific picture on a blood gas if they do have um hypokaloremic hypokalemic metabolic alkalosis it's very 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 important that you actually treat the electrolyte disturbance before you order an ultrasound or before you actually go into the theater to do the surgery so commonly in exams they might they might give all of these options they might give um they might give you a picture of a patient with um you know a 3 week old infant with projectile vomiting and olive shaped mass and peristaltic waves and they might say um you know what and they, and they might also give you a blood gas that the patient has a a low chloride low potassium and has a metabolic alkalosis and possible options that they could give you for treatment could be would you do an ultrasound would you do the surgery would you give iv fluids 
the first thing that you should always do is to give IV fluids because the patient is sick and um, those need to be corrected urgently and then you can go ahead and do the ultrasound and then you can do the um, the surgery. So I hope that all makes sense. Um, so today we've talked about intersusception and um, we've also talked about pyloric stenosis and we've talked about the typical patient population We've talked about the pathophysiology of both these conditions. Um, we've talked about um, common exam um, scenarios. And we've also talked about treatment. And we've talked about the first test that you should do in both. Um, please let me know if you have any questions um, by contacting SLT. Um, so thank you. Bye.